Welcome to episode five of the STB podcast. In this week's episode, I'm joined by four-time NFL All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl MVP, Heinz Ward. In this episode, Heinz discusses his mixed race upbringing in Atlanta, his decision to attend uh, the University of Georgia, his strange draft process to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and some of his biggest money mistakes and best money lessons throughout his career. This is a conversation you do not want to miss. Secure the Bag content is intended for collegiate athletes. Secure the Bag does not provide financial services, financial planning, investment, tax, legal, or sports agent advice or services. All right, man. So, you know, it's Secure the Bag, uh, the STB podcast. You know, our mission is to kind of to really have dive deep and have conversations, normalized conversations around athletes and money. And, and I got the chance to uh, meet you briefly down in Boca when I was down at FAU uh, speaking to their football team. And you were really engaged in the presentation. I thought it'd be great to have you on because this is a subject I know that is near and dear to your heart. Um, so really, what I really want to start with is, you know, a lot of people know the NFL stuff, your accolades. Tell me a little bit about your, you have a unique, unique background. So tell me a little bit about, you know, where you're from and, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, up. I was, uh, my mother's Korean, my father's African-American. Um, I was born in Seoul, South Korea and um, came to the States probably when I was about one or two years old. And unfortunately, my mom and my pops got divorced. And my mom stayed in Georgia. Meanwhile, I moved to Louisiana. So growing up for me was just difficult because uh, I guess trying to find my identity, you know, uh, being a mixed race kid and being the only mixed race kid in my neighborhood, you know, trying to fit in. I I struggled at times, you know, Mm -hmm. so um, my father had remarried and the whole time I thought my stepmom was my real mom and my real mom was just a Korean lady who came and visited me and gave me a bunch of toys <laughs> growing up. So um, I finally got an opportunity to move with my mom permanently when I was probably in second grade. And mm-hmm. uh, it was difficult growing up. Um, you know, my mom speaks kind of broken English, so you kind of got to put it together to really understand yeah. And um, growing up, it was difficult just trying to find my identity of who I was and uh, you know, a lot of kids growing up was, you know, kids can tease a lot. I was Bruce Leroy, Jackie Chan. I was all the all the names growing up as a kid and just trying to fit in. But it wasn't until I got into sports that that kind of, you know, the teasing stopped a little bit and and everybody accepted me as their brothers. But just growing up, um, really didn't have a lot of money um, at all. Really, my mom worked worked her tail off worked three jobs. She was gone majority time of the, uh, throughout the day. And so just growing up, you know, I learned the values of hard work watching her, you know, kind of slave over job after jobs. And these jobs were like cleaning hotels. She'd work for Delta. Uh, she was a, a bag lady across the street at a grocery store, a convenience store that was close to our apartment. So um, growing up for me, watching my mom, buy a roll of toilet paper and splitting it in half and, and, and making one roll of toilet paper, two rolls of toilet paper. That mm-hmm. was kind of uh, my way of living growing up as a child. 
Um, and then when I got involved in athletics, I was became a pretty good athlete. And uh, I was blessed enough to gain a scholarship at the University of Georgia. And then was blessed to, to graduate from there and, and then moved on to get drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So living my dream, I grew up always wanting to play in the NFL. Uh, you know, I, I idolized some of my heroes growing up, Doug Williams and all that. And so finally, you know, getting an opportunity to, to live my dream and get drafted was like a dream come true. But there was also another side of it. I had never made over $100,000 ever in my life. So <laughs> sometimes it's a blessing and a curse at the same time and something that I, I struggle with as a, as a young um, biracial kid trying to find out my identity and then now coming into some new wealth. Uh, I struggled early in my career with financial literacy because uh, I didn't really know much about things. Awesome. Well, that's, that's great, Hines. And I, I want to back up. So one of the things, you know, that struck me, and I know, you know, you talked about growing up and in, in talking in the struggle with finding your identity. Talk a little bit about that, because I think that's something that a lot of kids deal with, especially if you're biracial, especially, you know, growing up 70s, 80s. And then you're uniquely biracial, one that, you know, that's Korean and African-American is not a common combination. Correct. So tell me about, it, I guess, it, it, it was that. a struggle. And then, then I mean, how, how did, when did you get into sports and how did, how did that kind of. So um, it was a struggle for me. I mean, you know, growing up and being the only mixed kid in your apartment complex, everybody's teasing you, you know. The white kids didn't want to hang out with me because I was black. The black kids didn't want to hang out with me because my mom was Korean. The Korean kids didn't want to hang out with me because my mom married a black man. So it was kind of like, you know, it was a struggle for me, you know, just to try to fit in. Where do I fit? I was yeah. always, huh? I was going to say, like, where do I fit? Yeah. I mean, it just you really didn't know. Like, so – a lot of times I was a pretty good athlete in elementary school. So I was always the first guy to get picked. But then at the same time, you know, when I win or, you know, kids start trash talking, that's when, you know, you hear all the uh, Jackie Chan, Bruce Leroy and things like that. You know, it, it hurt me at times because, you know, I just thought I was just normal. I didn't have to come into this world as a biracial kid. Um, so I had to have tough skin growing up early in my career uh, as a child. And, you know, I learned kind of not let the teasing get to me, but I got in lots of fights <laughs> growing up. So I was one of those kids that, you know, I was ashamed of my mom for a long time because I used to hate getting teased. I felt like it wasn't my fault. and I put all the, the blame on my mom. And then one day I made her cry. And I think any young man, making their moms cry and just make you feel bad as a person. And um, one day uh, my mom was taking me to school. I seen those group of kids that was waiting outside because they must just got off the bus. And I kind of ducked down in the car a little bit and got out the car because I didn't want them to see me. And I looked back and my mom was crying. And here my mom working three jobs to give me the everything that I ever wanted in life because you know, sometimes in the Korean culture, it's not really, you know, I think a lot of parents want their kids to have the best. That's how they show love. My mom wasn't that affectionate person with hugs and stuff. Mm -hmm. She showed me love 
by basically spoiling the crap out of me. You know, okay. uh, I had all the new Jordans, the Nintendo before it came out. I was one of the first person in my neighborhood with a Nintendo. So all the kids used to come over there. So they thought I was cool. So uh, that's how my mom showed me love by, by just showering me with gifts and spoiling the crap out of me. But at the same time, here I am kind of embarrassed of her because, you know, I didn't want kids to, I didn't want to be called a, a black chink. You know, I didn't want to yeah. get called all those names that they were calling me, but, you know, I took it out on my mom. I took out the frustrations on my mom and looking back and she was crying and, you know, that's when the light bulb hit for me. Uh, I just say, you know what? I went back to my father's for the summer. I got my ass whooped <laughs> by my father, um, you know, just trying to discipline me. And, you know, at the time I really didn't know, I, you know, I knew my mom would, would do whatever I wanted to do. And she worked her tail off to get. So that summer coming back, um, I kind of grew up real fast. You know, any kid that, that talked about my mom, I just got into a fight, you know, the rage inside of me. It's just, you know, so I got in trouble probably my fourth and fifth grade year just because I just, I wasn't going to tolerate it anymore. And so uh, one of my best friend's father was a football coach. Mm -hmm. And he was like, dad, you got to get this guy. He's always the best <laughs> player in my school. Yeah. You know, my mom didn't really have the, the funds to really let me play football. So, I remember selling a lot of M&Ms and sneakers to try to raise money and stuff and raise the money to finally play. And then once I got involved in athletics, then people, the teasing went down because I was probably the best player on the team. So everybody, <laughs> the parents and my teammates, they were all praising me. So, you know, I, I, I was, I was infatuated with sports because, because the teasing stopped and I yeah. had an outlet. Uh, to do something and, and showcase my talents on the football field. And, and I was just one of those kids that grew up playing baseball, basketball, football, tennis, whatever it was. That was just me. I always wanted to be uh, an all-around athlete. So I played everything growing up from middle school all the way up to high school. So uh, when I got involved in sports, the teasing stopped. And, and that's kind of where my identity lies was, was with sports. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So as you – as you start playing sports and, you know, obviously you're, you're really good. Tell me a little bit about, you know, going into high school, what that was like. And when you were, where you said, where you realized, Hey, I could, I potentially have a future here. Yeah. So I started, I got in high school. I started as I was starting quarterback my 10th grade year. So, which was unheard of at the time. And I was playing varsity ball. And start getting a lot of these, uh, the older classmen start having a lot of college recruits coming around. And I didn't really know anything about scholarships and stuff like that. I, I never thought I could go to college for free. But then when I got involved in athletics and started seeing a lot of college people coming around, I said, man, this opportunity for me to go. I'm just young and I'm starting at 10th grade. Just imagine yeah. what I would be my 12th grade year. Yeah. You know, I was super excited. You know, I was always one of those kids, highly competitive, not only on the field, but off the field. In the classroom, I took pride in sitting in the front and, and, and answering all the questions before all the smart kids in my room. Like, I, I brag about it. You know, it's kind of like, here, I'm playing football and getting the right answer. So you, you were you were well-rounded all around. You and Yeah, well, that. that was something that my mom really was like, listen, I don't care what you do, but 
you're not going to embarrass me by, you know, not having good grades. You know, if you don't do anything, at least make good grades. And one time I remember I brought home a C and she wouldn't let me play in one of my playoff games growing up. And that devastated me. So playoff games. I, I was crying. I was begging to play. And uh, my coach kept calling my mom. She said, nope, he, he had a D. I had a D on, on my report card. And she's like, you ain't playing until you bring that D up. And so I learned very early on in my career that grades were very important to me or my mom yeah. wouldn't let me play. So um, after that, I missed a game. We lost and I just felt like crap. And I just vowed that I would never, ever put myself in that situation again. So I, I, I took uh, it was a high priority for me in the classroom to not only do well on the field, but off the field with my education as well, because she never went to college. You know, I was the first in my family to really graduate from college. All my my uncles and my dad on my father's side, they all went to college, but they all dropped out at some point. So uh, I know my mom, she's real big on education. She really didn't know that I can go to school for free. And she thought I was too little to play football at the next level. So <laughs> her only hope was to get an education. Yeah. So she was real big on that. But growing up, like I said, I mean, I was high school quarterback, starting quarterback my sophomore year. Um, you know, it was kind of – you get caught into this fantasy land where everybody's patting you on the back. Everybody wants to be your friend. All, you know, you're young. And, you know, I was a sophomore, and I was – I was I had senior girls liking me because I was a starting quarterback. So, you know, <laughs> you, you know, when you're 16, 17, you're feeling good about yourself yeah. and things like that, but yet – now in high school, you're trying to fit in with everybody. So, you know, I couldn't afford the the guest jeans or, the, you know, some some yeah. of the, the stylish cold, uh, clothes like Coca-Cola shirts. Those, those were in back in the day. Yeah. So, like, for me, I remember, man, I just wanted to fit in so bad that I went to the mall just to steal that little triangle off a pair of jeans and, and took it home and sewed it on the back of my jeans. Wow. I'm like, man, my buddy's like, you know, you could have went to jail for a dang triangle guest <laughs> thing. And I sold it. I sold it on the back of my jeans. And one day in the locker room, I was changing. I took my pants off and the hook fell. And everybody saw on the inside it was Wranglers. Wranglers jeans with a guest patch on the back. <laughs> I- <laughs> so, you know, here I am just like doing the most silly stuff because I was trying to fit in with the Joneses. I wanted to yeah. have all these things as everyone else did. You know, my mom finally bought me a pair of Jordan. They were like 120 bucks at the time. And I remember, man, I wore them every day. I took two pairs of shoes at re- to school because I wore my Jordans when I was in class and went to recess. I changed into my other shoes and I, because I didn't want to mess them up because I knew I wasn't going to get another pair. So I was like that. And then it was kind of like just trying to fit in, look stylish, things like that. I mean, do with young kids, teenagers, they all do. They want to blend in and have all the nice things and, and get the notoriety. So for me, having that notoriety early was kind of, it was a blessing and a curse because it felt good that you had it and people were praising you for your athleticism, but then it's bad because sometimes I didn't have the upbringing to learn how to deal with 
celebrity status. Yeah. You know, how to, to do that. And I think that just carried along with me throughout college and even early on in my pro career from some of the financial decisions that I made growing up. So Okay. That is, those stories are amazing because I think there's parts of me that can relate. And I'm sure people listening that would be able to relate. You know, my dad was from Haiti. Mom was from Barbados. I grew up in a upper middle class environment and I was, you know, only black kid and, and you want to fit in. And so it's just, what's wild to me is the, the extent, right. To take the people steal the jeans. I could understand, but like taking the get the thing and sewing it on that's next level, man. So yeah, like, I, 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 I was dead wrong for doing it, but that's how desperate I wanted to have a pair of guest jeans that I went to the mall, the, the cut off, the rip off the, the, the guest triangle on the back of the jeans and, and did it and sewed it on one pair of pants. And I always, I wore it all the time because the guest was in back in the day, you know, yeah. guest Coca-Cola shirts and, and it was something that uh, one of my friends was like, man, you know, you could have been locked up for trying to steal old triangle and you got some ring. Cause my buddy knew, you know, you always got one homeboy that knows all, all your, the scoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like, when'd you get some good jeans? Your mom can't afford that. <laughs> man, look, it's, I got Wranglers on the inside, but they don't know. They're like, man, you're silly. You know, just, just doing what little misfit teenagers do, man. And just looking back, hindsight, it was so dumb of me to, to do that. That was the stupidest thing I've ever done. But that's how much I wanted to fit in so bad. And I, yeah, and I was going to say, I think, what that's at the heart of that is acceptance and how important it is when you're growing up to feel part of the community and, and to, to get along with people and that plays into a lot of the financial decisions we make. So talk about kind of when you were deciding on where to go to school and what led you to Georgia and then um, kind of onto that college experience. At the time, man, I was recruited by everybody. Um, growing up in nineties, the early 90s, 90 through 94, you know, Florida State, Charlie Ward was big mm -hmm. on the scene. Nebraska was big on the scene with Tommy Frazier. Um, you know, so it was just a lot of things going on. And at the time, I played quarterback in high school. So in some publications, like Peyton Manning was one and I was number two and, and things like that coming out of high school. So not only did it feel good to be wanted by all these big-time schools, and you're seeing, you know, Coach Osborne sitting in my living room, Bobby Bowden sitting in my living room. And, you know, my mom had no idea. She didn't really care. She's like, as long as you take your shoes off before you come in my house, I don't really care. Because <laughs> it's funny, you know, my mom, she, she knows nothing about football. So she couldn't yeah. tell you the difference between an extra point and a field goal. So she got frustrated at times. But... I think she felt good knowing that I had opportunity to go to college for free and play athletics. It was never, it was always a dream of mine to play in the NFL, but never my mom. She was just excited for me to get that opportunity to go to college. So all these top schools. And at the time, Georgia wasn't in the top 25. And, you know, I went to Nebraska, saw snow for the first time, you know, Really didn't enjoy the snow too much. <laughs> it was a little too far away from home. Uh, fell in love with Florida State. Um, but they didn't 
at the time, everyone had the red shirt. I didn't want a red shirt, you know. Okay. Play quarterback there, you weren't going to play until your junior or senior year. Yeah, that was that was the that was the uh, that was the method then. Correct, correct. And then um, all the other schools, Notre Dame, uh, Lou Holtz wanted me to play safety. I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So um, I just stayed close to home. You know, I, I wanted to be close to my mom, being a, being that I'm the only child. But I wanted to be close, but not too close where I can come home every week. So Athens, up in Georgia, I was probably about an hour and 15, hour 30 mm-hmm. minutes away from home. So it was just far enough for me to go have my own experience in college, but yet still be close to get back home and see my mom and things like that. So I chose to go to the University of Georgia just to stay close to home. And, and I was looking at big picture, you know, my dreams and aspiration were to go to college, but if things didn't work out, I just wanted to get a head start in life, being that I played at the University of Georgia, and I just always assumed that I would live in Atlanta throughout my whole life. So getting that opportunity to play for a, a big-time program and then being able to network with some of the things, I was already thinking about jobs and what I was going to do, being that I was going to live in Atlanta because I saw so many um, other guys, the older upperclassmen in high school, they would go far away. They get homesick and don't have the money to get back home. And then at the end of the day, it's like they went to college to go play, but then they didn't make it to the pros. And then now they're they're searching to try to find a job back at their hometown. And then they ended up right back on the streets again. So I was like, I didn't want to go down that path. I wanted to kind of get a head start by choosing yeah. Georgia. That that's interesting to me because you seem to always have been thinking one step ahead from a young age. I, I would think that's a that's not really something a lot of kids would be thinking about, especially back then. Um, so I think I think that's that's really interesting um, and speaks to kind of your mindset that you have all around. Tell me a little bit about all right. So you get to Georgia. What was that experience like when you first get there? And and well. The- I think any experience when you leave college and you move out from your parents' house, you feel like a grown man. And (laughs) it's kind of like, yeah, I'm the man now. Now you're just trying to figure things out. And of course, you know, college years are some of your better years. You start partying, you start going to all the sorority and all those things. And, you know, you get going into the stadium at the University of Georgia, you got 95,000 people, 100,000 every weekend cheering your name, and then you have success. Uh, I think the success part and how to deal with some of the the fame, there's no rule book that comes with that. You know, it's, it's really about, you know, if you have a great inner circle and in your upbringings, it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, you know. In my lifetime, I've seen a lot of people who dealt with it totally different. Um, mm-hmm. For me, um, I was humbled at the time, but yet sometimes you kind of like get like a big head and because, you know, you feel good and everybody knows you are. So you, you walk with a little swag on campus and, and things like that. So, you know, my whole life from probably 10th grade all the way up to my whole career, that's that's that was the norm for me, you know, everybody always knowing who I was, wanted something. I really didn't know, you know, I was, I was one of those people that accepted everybody, you know, kind of naive to an extent, you know, because I'm thinking that they're there really for me, but sometimes after the fact, uh, 
to find out that they weren't there for me. <laughs> you yeah. know, some conditional love. Yeah. So it's um, it was a great time. I, I mean, a lot of my closest friends are still that, that went to school with me, man. Still to this day, we're like like this. And, and, and that's what I've always cherished. They never asked me for money. They just the brotherhood that we had throughout college has just always stayed there. So some of my closest friends were from uh, Georgia. And uh, still to this day, man, we talk, we play golf, man. We talk about all the, the old stories and all the crazy things we did in college. And, and along my 14-year professional level, they were there supporting me. It was almost like I was playing for them. So um, I, had, I had a cool little support system around me at the time. And tell me about financially right in college, because one of the things when we talk to these, so when we talk to the athletes now who are in college, it's like they, they get a lot more, you know, forget the NIL. They, there's a lot more that they get, period, than when you played. So tell uh, me yeah. what, what it was uh, like financially for you when you were at Georgia. The only financial thing that I got, I think it was like a Pell Grant. And I mm -hmm. think it was probably – 18, 1500 bucks at the time. And let me just tell you, that thing was gone in the first week. <laughs> so it was like for the semester. Yeah. Right? It, it's like, it was like free money to us because we we're yeah. on scholarship. So, but we had never had money. So a lot of us grew up in low income home. So when you finally give us the check and we're out on our own, as, as a young man, and, you know, I didn't have a father teach me about a checking account, things like that. I didn't, I didn't have all that. So I remember getting Pell Grants. I remember um, getting that old flip phone. They had like a cell phone at the time. Those things were coming out and trying to be cool because you see all the people on the, uh, the music videos with cell phones yeah. and so they had those little college deals when you get a cell phone and you just pay whatever. And then they give you that $500 credit card activation thing. You get a T-shirt for getting a credit card. Yeah. So I'm, well, I'm going to get some good credit. And, you know, it's just $500 max limit. But then you don't understand, like, when you blow through that Pell Grant money, you don't have any money to pay off all the other and stuff. The credit card, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, man, so for me – I just started off on the, the the wrong foot with financial literacy early in my career in college. So when I, when you came and spoke, I just thought it was awesome. You know, I, I would have loved that opportunity for someone who really know a thing or two about financial literacy, about checking an account, about how much interest in, in your credit report. Like a lot of kids don't know that. And I was never taught that. You know, growing up, my mom really didn't teach me that growing up. She was like, mom, can I get ten dollars? She gave me ten dollars. I didn't yeah. have a, a checking account. You know, I didn't I didn't have a job per se. I remember in high school, I had to work for a summer to to I wanted to get my car when I was 16. My mom said it was a car that cost five thousand. I had to come up with twenty five hundred. So I worked at Chick-fil-A and I worked for probably I worked my ass off for about four weeks five weeks no it was about two months and I raised half the money because I didn't spend it all. I just gave my check to my mom every yeah. week and then I got enough and then she paid for the other half and I bought my car you know so yeah. and then football camp was started was about to start so I ended up uh, uh, not working at Chick-fil-A anymore I actually got fired from it because I knew I was going to quit so I 
I hooked my homeboys up with a couple extra Chick-fil-A and the man that caught me. <laughs> so once again, it was bad choices in life, but I had to hurry. I knew I was going to quit anyway, but, uh, um, but yeah, that was the only work experience that I really had. My whole thing was dependent on football. And then yeah. when I started playing football uh, and, I, and knowing that I can go to college for free, like, and then now you're finally on campus you got a little money in your pocket with Pell Grant. You knew you was getting that every semester or every quarter. I think we're on quarters or something. And um, and now you get that, and so you depend on that. But you just blow through that by buying the little things. You yeah. Know? yeah. You know, you go get a polo shirt at the time. Polo shirts were in and trying to fit in because everyone – 90s? Yeah. So yeah. it's like now you're at that level where people notice you, so you want to look nice and fly. Well, you know, I just didn't want to wear Georgia gear on campus. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wearing all my my nice polos and stuff. That's where my money was going. I was going to uh, blowing my Pell Grant money on polo shirts. So, yeah. You know, because I wanted to look nice. I wanted to look sharp. It's crazy. Like, man, why are you getting dressed up to go to school? Man, it's about appearance. They don't worry about that. You know, I was trying to – I was all about getting good grades, checking out all the ladies and, and doing – that was that was my college life, you know, yeah. to play football and get noticed. And and so I've always wanted the latest thing. So at the time, polo was in, man. I was – you know, I looked real preppy. A lot of people thought I was a kappa. It's like, no, I'm not a kappa, man. Was, you know, because those are the fraternity and all the, yeah. the, the, the stylish, per mm -hmm. se, group. But, uh, no, man, that was the extent of my college career, man, just going out and – and, and, and really just doing some some silly financial decisions as far as just blowing my whole Pell Grant and not really knowing what to do with it. So, you know, for me, uh, what's that old saying? More money, more problems. <laughs> I learned at an early age it was, it was bad, but it was just some of the things that I think that got me in trouble early on in my career by doing some of the dumb things because I didn't have that financial literacy. So let's talk about that, right? So now we go from Pell Grant, blowing Pell Grant money to, all right, you are now about to get drafted. So tell me about kind of the draft. Oh, man. And yeah, how that draft. In, in that process, getting up to the draft and then being drafted and becoming. Yeah, drafted. so um, for me, I was always focused. Like you said, I was always a step ahead. So throughout my college career, watching the older guys, so the way I had my plan scheduled, I graduate college in three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So in college, um, during the football season, I took like electives, you know, stuff that went towards my degree. But they're like light classes, not as strenuous during the season because I just yeah. wanted to focus on, on football, but still go to class, but not having to uh, stress myself out. You know, it was one of those uh, I can get through. I can do all my assignments and stuff like that. And then during the wintertime when it got cold in Georgia, that's when I buckled down on all my hard courses. And then in the spring, I took a light course because I wanted to focus on football. And then summertime, I took all the hard courses in summertime because there was only three weeks long. So mm -hmm. I can I feel like I can commit myself for three weeks and take all the hard stuff out. So I ended up getting my degree early, ended up taking like uh, some grad classes because I graduated already before the, the football season started. Mm -hmm. going into my senior year. So all I can do is just focus on football. And that's what I did, focus on football right when the season was over with. I moved all my stuff. I moved to New Orleans. 
um, to train with Tom Shaw down in uh, Slidell, Louisiana, with some of the other guys that were training for the combines. We all lived down there. And now that's where kind of your agent that you sign with, giving you a little upfront money, telling you what round you're going to go. And I was projected to go late first, early second. So you're down there, a lot of guys are buying new cars and getting, you know, at the time, the Lexus GS 400, new body style. That was the, the end thing at the time. And here I am trying to do the right thing. But then all the guys that I work out with, they pulling up. I just had a rental car that I was just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, Corolla or something just going, <laughs> pulling up. And here I am, dudes pulling up in big body fences and all that stuff. And they haven't even been drafted yet. So I'm like, man, I got to get into all my agents. Just got it for me, man. I'm like, man. And then, you know, um, for me, I had a nice supporting. But listen, let's wait until you get your money before you buy stuff and doing stuff. So, But I was so, like, ready to get all those things right now yeah. because I felt like I was working my tail off. But then come draft day comes, and now my agent calls me in the morning of the draft. He say, hey, you don't have an ACL in your knee, which I tore – my ACL back when I was in fourth grade, I built this raggedy ramp. It exploded on me. I landed on my left knee. I fractured my kneecap. At the same time, I tore my ACL, but the doctor missed it. They just put me in the cast. Uh, six to eight weeks later, I take the cast off. My knee's a little swollen, but I'm back to running around doing football, basketball, baseball, summer league baseball. Didn't know I didn't have an ACL until I got to the combines. And they're tugging on my knee, and they were like, "Hell, son, you don't have an ACL." I was like, "Good, I can't tear it." And they was like, "No, that's not good." So I got listed as a high risk draft pick. So that kind of dropped my stocks, um, my draft stocks a little bit. So you tore your ACL as a child, it broke your kneecap, it went unnoticed, and you lived your entire played from the time you were a kid with no ACL, with no ACL. Still to this day, I don't have an ACL, which is. This guy's playing, man. I, I can't I can't write a better script than this. I'm just telling you. It's like, so I didn't know I didn't even have an ACL. Played four years of college. Didn't know. Go all the way to combines. They tug on me. Now come draft day, my agent called me in the morning. So a lot of teams are scared to draft you because you don't have an ACL. I was like, why? Because I didn't know I didn't have one leading up all the way into the combine. So I couldn't yeah. even fix it. There's nothing to fix because yeah. – played my whole life without it so I went from late first early second to being in the third round okay uh, Pittsburgh Steelers drafted me I never interviewed with them I didn't even know where Pittsburgh was located so I, I had no clue you know what was going on um, I ended up going to Pittsburgh I think my sign-up bonus was like maybe 333,000 mm -hmm. but then I didn't know what FICA mean you know I said FICA <laughs> what is this like why did they why they deducted so much money out of my check? Yeah. So my one thing that I've always said, man, I wanted to buy my mom a house. So I, my mom sold her house. She kept the money. And then I just bought her house. I bought a house like $156,000, three-bedroom ranch home. Mm -hmm. I wanted to pay it off, make sure my mom, I knew we just had to pay taxes on it. That's what my yeah. agent said. So I said, I don't care. Whatever happens to me, I want to make sure my mom's got a house and pay for it. So I don't have to worry about it. So my rookie year, my signing bonus, I 
basically blew my whole signing bonus to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. I finally got in my car that I wanted, bought my Lexus. That was about 60000 Okay. So basically, after taxes and that whole signing bonus, I practically broke. I didn't have any money other than my salary. And I think my salary was like 100, I think 190,000 the first year. Mm-hmm. So I rented an apartment in Pittsburgh, came back home on during the off season. I was staying at my mom's house or the house that I bought for my mom because I didn't have no place to go. I wanted to get out of Pittsburgh. Season was over. It's too cold yeah. up there. So here I am on the dating scene in the NFL, but no place to live. (laughs) I can't even bring girls back to the home because I'm staying with my mom. And it's just just not a good look. You know, I had the the NFL chain. I had the nice car. I had nice clothes. But I didn't have any money in my pocket. And I was staying at home uh, (laughs) with my mom back in Atlanta. So uh, uh, dating for me was was a struggle early. And then Went back to the off season the following year, got back straight, made my whole salary start building up my wealth. Mm-hmm. I think the second year I made like 250000 but now I'm a starter now. So I went from basically being a special team guy to a starter in the NFL. And now, like, I started making plays, and now that Madden and all that started coming out, and you're seeing your own, oh, look, that's me right there. Also, every night I'm playing, throwing it to myself every night. <laughs> and then it was just the little things, man. And then at the time, I think Jermaine Dupree came out with a song called Money Ain't a Thing. I was just, yeah. just, just wild and just not even thinking about if something were to happen, like my career could be over because it's like a drug, man. When you're young – and you have a success early, you just think you can play football forever. Yeah. You, you yeah. just do silly stuff. So for me, early my first five years, man, I just got caught up into not only being in the pros, but what all came with being in the pros, the the, the status, being able to walk into the mall and not look at a price tag. I remember one time I walked in the mall and just started buying Versace shirts and doing that. And then the tab came up to about like $6,800. And they know me, asked for autographs, so I can't put the shit back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, go and charge that. Now I'm charging it. Now, you know, here I am spending 10 grand on clothes for a month. And yeah. My answer dude was like, I don't, man, what you doing? Dude? Yeah. That's the whole paycheck right there. Oh, man, I messed up. So I, you get caught up in the lifestyle. And then I start having more success. So now by my fourth year, I finally, they said, I come up for a contract extension. Mm-hmm. They gave me a four-year deal worth 20, no, four-year, $10 million deal. So it was going to be like 2.5 <laughs> a year. They gave me a signing bonus. Now it's like a $2.5 million signing bonus, which is way bigger than, than $333,000. So now after they took the FICA and all the taxes out, now I got like one point. Um, yeah, I get $1.4 million check. Now I'm a millionaire, man. And I just like, I bought me a townhome. I did buy me a townhome. I said, all right. Townhome was like 200 grand, 250 grand. I paid, just bought it. I was like, I don't want no debt. I bought my mom's house. I did that and I'll just live off my appearances and stuff like that. So initially I started off on the right track. I said, I wasn't going to touch my salary. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to 
spend my appearance money during the season. And then next thing you know, like, man, I saw LL Cool J. Uh, I forgot the video, the name of his song. I used to wear Kangos. I saw him in a Ferrari. I said, oh, I got to have a Ferrari. I want that one. So here I am living in the townhome, but I got a Ferrari living in the townhome, living my best life. It's LL's fault. Yeah, it's all LL, man, because everybody kept saying we look alike. So I put the Kango on, man. I had the drop top. Uh, I, it's a song. It's a video. You ever see LL, you'll see him. He has a black Ferrari. I had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, you're talking about one of the eighties videos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. no, not that it was, I'm going to love you better or something. One of them songs. And it was just, if you ever look it up, man, you, 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 you'll see what I'm talking about. But I wanted that effect. Ferrari that uh, LL was driving in that car. But at the time, right. you know that these damn rappers are renting these damn cars. They're not their cars. Yep. <laughs> so here I am, one that, and I was like, so here I am, 25, on and off, back and forth with my high school girlfriend. Really don't know what I want to do. We arguing. I'm living my best life playing football, you know. I don't got a Ferrari. I pull up. Everyone knows you see the Ferrari. So the tension was just like the celebrity, the fame. Mm -hmm. It just consumed me because football gave me that. So I wanted yeah. to be the best player that I could possibly be. So I worked my butt off. But then at the same time, I wanted to me, I became a selfish player. I became a selfish person because it was all about me, 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 me. You know, if I wasn't getting the ball, I was like, oh, I can't get no another contract. You know, ain't throwing me the ball, things like this. And then um, after I signed that contract, which my agent at the time, he thought that I jumped the gun on signing it. But my mom was like, boy, you never had, you never made a million dollars in your life. You better take that contract. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, my agent was like, no, don't take it. But then guess what happened? I signed it. I go to four straight Pro Bowls. Never been done in, in history of our organization. Um, I went from catching 45 passes to 95 passes to 112 passes. So now, like, I'm on the national scene where everyone knows me, not just in Pittsburgh, Georgia. Now I'm yeah. getting on Miami, L.A., mm -hmm. things like that. And then we're winning. Like, we're going to the playoffs. We're in the AFC Championship game balling out there and then we finally go to the Super Bowl and then now it's just man it just took me to another level as far as the celebrity status yeah. so now success and you know but along the way man I just kept blowing probably I probably blew about a million dollars million and a half easy just on dumb stuff um, my third year when I had the Ferrari, I had another two-seater SL. I put TVs in the headrest so people behind me can see what I'm watching on the screen that I'm watching. That's 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 the dumb stuff that I did. Like, yeah. get customize a car, putting rims on it, uh, putting the speakers in it, uh, putting TVs in a, a two-seater so people behind me can see it. And just uh, $800 pair of glasses. Yeah. yeah blinged out Rolex is just like man just all the stuff and you just get fixated because you just know the money's going to keep coming you don't think about when it when it's all said and done that you you know things that uh that the money's not always going to be there so man I and I tell guys with me being in the coach I was with the Jets 
And I think a lot of guys related to me because the story that I tell them, they're like, oh, man, I did that dumb stuff too. So now they're kind of like, no, pump your brakes a little bit. So I look at it for me wanting to get into coaching to really have an impact on guys for them not to make the same mistakes that I made. You know, I want to help them along the way with their career on the field, but also I want to help them not make the same mistakes off the field as well, especially with the financial literacy part. So when you came to our university to speak, man, I I thought that was just awesome. Just, you know, even though probably it didn't go by everybody with like, you know, did everybody get something from it? But I think you've impacted at least one person in there that kind of made a difference, especially with this new NIL rule where you can actually give college athletes money now (laughs) legally and and get away with it. So Sometimes I just think when they do get a little money outside of the grant, the money that they get, you know, if they get like a deal that's $10,000, you know, and that you're not going to see all (laughs) $10,000, you know, you have to pay taxes on Yeah. You know, and, it's just the little things that just don't go blowing stuff on like clothes and cars. If you really want to generally, you know, make the most of it, you got to be smart with it. So uh, kudos to you for just having an opportunity to come out, come out and, and talk to the guys. Coach Taggart told me that you were coming. I just thought it was awesome. So just asking some of the questions uh, just to partake in that. I wish we had more time because I would have loved to, tell all the guys some of the things that you were talking about. I'm like, I'm telling you, listen to the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need we, to we can talk about, because I know we want to do more stuff, so we can talk about incorporating you into that, because you, you're great. I mean, I could talk to you forever about this stuff. Correct, correct. One question I got, Hines, is when, at what point did, for you, right, we talked about the mistakes, did the light bulb go off, and, and how, what, was there an event that, happened or was it just maturity and, and um and I think it was maturity but I, I think it was maturity a lot had to do with maturity you know I still did things all the way up I played 14 years you know yeah. but then at a point probably about year 10 when you have everything <laughs> it's like you know I don't get fixated on cars now like I had a new car every other year Mm-hmm. Which they all depreciate it, you know. So imagine the money that you dropped on here. Like now, I let my wife drive the nice car. I just drive a regular car. Chevy Tahoe gets me from point A to point B. I don't get noticed driving down the street. I don't want that attention, man. Like yeah. I say, more money, more problems. I just it was a headache for me. So as much as I yarn yarn for uh, having attention. I find myself trying not to have attention. <laughs> you know, I walk with my head down, uh, try to be low key and all I do, I don't really wear flashy things. Now I have some nice things. I don't have, the, I, don't, I don't do diamonds anymore. I don't do that. I give that all to my wife. <laughs> I'm kind of, but I'm kind of grown. I'm over. I, I live that lifestyle. I've already been there, done that. So for me, I, you know, I, I want my kids to have a life. I want their, their kids to have a life. And I want to put myself in a position to where I don't ever have to worry about money or let my family worry about money. And I'm thankful for that. I'm still young. I'm 45 years old. I just got into coaching about three years. And it's something that I enjoy doing. I've done television. I've done so many great things throughout my life in a short period of time. 
but I just wanted to do something that I love doing and, and having an impact. And that's why I wanted to get into coaching because I was very close to a lot of my coaches. They were like father figures to me. And then I would always call them for advice. So if I can do that for a player um, that they can call me years after they're done playing, I can give them some advice based on experience or knowledge and help them make a choice in their life, what they should do. Then, then that's my purpose on this earth. It's not just about me and my family, but being able to give back and help others. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, well said. And I think to me, one of, the, one of the key points is you talked about around your 10th year, right? And one of the key things is, one of the fortunate things is you were good enough to play that long, right? Yes. Your career that's 14, been, 14 years, yes. Right? Yes. And I think, you know, when we talk about the average career is three to four years, most guys aren't getting that second opportunity because they would have, you know, if, if Heinz Ward's career was four or five years, you wouldn't have had much to show for it. Correct. Your longevity in the game allowed you to the afforded you the opportunity to kind of wake up before it was too late from a well, well, yes but along the way those is the biggest problem that i see with a lot of young pro athletes is having that circle that follows them you know mm -hmm. when i made it everybody in my family and my friends thought that they made it so they thought that they can just quit their jobs and live off my money you know in which I was a giving person, like all my guys that were there for me when I didn't have stuff, I bought them all cars. You know, every time I come home, I would always take them out to dinners and I wanted them to experience because we all said, if one make it, we all make it. You know, yeah. we say all that. And then one day I was remember driving, driving, going to a club or going out. One of my buddies, man, we go through a, a, a traffic light stop, uh, I guess a DUI check. This dude got some weed on him in this in this in this sock, and I'm like, damn, dude, you couldn't even. Why would you do that? Why would you put that put me in that situation? Sure. So yeah. One of the problems I think for guys is man, like separating yourself from that inner circle of core people that you have that yeah. they're just there, experience and living off you, but they're not there to really genuinely uh, have your best interest at heart. And for me, it took me a while, uh, took me about 10 years, man. I had to cut a lot of good friends away because they're all mooching off me, you know? Yeah. And you don't want to say no because they've been there. Oh, man, you change, man. You let money change you and stuff. Like, man, you're a grown man. You're in your 30s. I'm not here to keep paying you money all the time and take care of you. You need to do something with your life. So a lot of that. You get that, more money, more problems. And then you get a situation where you get financial advisors telling you what to do, where you should invest your money. But then on the back end, they're giving money under the table to the agent because the agent brought you to the financial advisor. He's getting a cut off your money. There's so many like snakes out there in this world, man. It's just a lot of these guys don't know. They don't know who to trust or who to believe. And, you know, you get a young guy with a lot of money and, you don't know and you get in with them. You don't, you don't know. This guy's not just doing stuff for free. You know, he's doing it with intentions. Oh, I'm going to make something off him, you know? Yeah, and I see it time and time again, like back when I was doing autograph signing, the guy was like, Hey, I got this $20,000 autograph uh, deal for you. Meanwhile, it was actually 30,000, but he don't took 10 off the top. You see what I'm saying? So 33%. 
Yeah. So it's like, that's just crazy. Right. So it's kind of like, and a lot of guys, we don't know it because it's more money than we ever like, hell yeah. 20 grand for some autographs. Yeah. For me, it's really 30 grand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of guys, man, it's all about surrounding yourself with the right people. And it took me literally 10 years. I had to fire an agent. I had to, I had to uh, cut off some of my friends because I just, you know, when you look back on it, you're spending a hundred grand on your entourage. Every, you know, you go to Vegas, they're going to Vegas. You sit in first class, they sitting in first class. Yeah, Whatever yeah. you eat, they gonna eat. So you're basically double paying for. You're not just paying for yourself. You're paying for everyone. Everybody around you, yeah. And you look at your financial sheet by the end of the year. You know, spend a hundred grand on your buddies. You know, and then from my one buddy who have weed on him when we go into like, why would you put me in that position? When, you know, I've been taking care of you your whole life since I've been in the pros. A lot of that, man, you just have to learn to disassociate yourself with those people that don't have your best interest at heart. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And I, um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, this is exactly what we try to educate guys on and, um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head so many times. And I think one of the things, you know, if we can teach these guys when they're young and have these conversations, you continue to mentor guys, you're going to have less and less people that fall trapped to that. Because, you know, I always say you're, you're going to figure it out, right? It's just whether you have, you figure it out when it's too late or before it's yeah. too late. Because you're going to yeah. figure it out one way or another. Yeah. Fortunately for me, I, I caught it before uh, my career was over. So, um having learned from the experience and my mistakes made me better financially. That's why sometimes I say with some of these pro athletes, man, sometimes getting all that money at an early age isn't good, you know, yeah. because you're wiser, you know, as you get 30, you know, to me, I would just put it all away and say, Hey, I don't want to touch it until I'm 30 or yeah. 40, you know, let me do all this stuff. Somebody just, you know, have you got to find the right people in your corner to do what's right, you know, but that's 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 half the battle of finding the right person that's going to invest your money and do it right without, you know, screwing you over at the end. You know, yeah. You have that trust. And if you got that 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 supporting staff already there or you have parents that know someone that you trust then that's a good thing. But for a lot of these kids growing up a single family home, they don't know. They just listening to their agent, their agent. Hell, some guys are really helping them. Some guys are helping themselves. Yeah. You know, for athletes. So that's the biggest thing that I try to warn guys about. If guys do get that opportunity, man, it all starts from your agent, how they do things. And, you know, you want a reputable guy. You want a guy, a stand up guy. And it's hard to find out there because everybody's going to sell you a dream, tell you everything you want to hear. And then when you find out, next thing you know, you're missing a million dollars out of your account. and You can't attest for it. You don't know where it's gone. <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot of it's about making the right decision. So that's why I'm in coaching, man. And that's why I really want to help help kids and help, you know, pro athletes, college kids uh, having an impact on them if they ever get that opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Heinz, man, I really appreciate it. And um, I think, you know, there's some synergy and we can talk about doing some more work together because (laughs) your message is is spot on, man. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Anytime.